This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. If you're thinking... I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be hosting this episode, which is our first one of 2018. So happy new year. This week, web editor Alex went to TabTab, a coffee shop in West London, to chat to head barista Lucas Gocetza about the vibrant green tea matcha, how it's made, why it's good for you and how to drink it. Later on, I'm chatting with cookery writer Adam about our new January issue, and in particular, some of the great vegan recipes we have in it. But first up, here's our web writer, Amanda, who went to visit Vibo, founder of bakery Bees of Bloomsbury, to chat about some upcoming trends for 2018. Hello, I'm here with Bee from Butterscotch Bakery, which has just launched in White City. Um, Bee originally is from Bees of Bloomsbury and has been in the baking industry for a long, long time. Do you want to tell me a bit about yourself, Bee? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess I've been a pastry chef for about 17, 18 years now. <laughs> um, and previously, I've worked at Asia to Cuba and Nobu. Um, before I opened my first business, uh, Bees of Bloomsbury, um, which I started back in 2007, 2008. Nice. Um, I left about four years ago uh, to open Stack's Diner, yeah. so a burger bar, nice. uh, Boondocks, and Famous Flames. Um, and then along the way, I also opened um, or helped uh, found uh, Bloomsbury's in Abu Dhabi, which is a cake shop out oh, in the great. Middle East. Um, and yeah, and just... Just a couple of months ago, just opened Butterscotch Bakery uh, in White City Place. 
And it's more of like a delivery service, isn't it, for yep. now? So we started it as an online website and we've just opened our first cafe um, in November in White City Place. So it's open Monday through Friday. And so you can come in and have coffee and cake and tea and all that good stuff. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. So it's more like on the go, cakes and coffees as opposed to like Bloom Three, where it's more afternoon tea based. Exactly. This is very much kind of fast, casual, yeah. good for business meetings type nice. deal. Mm-hmm. And on the topic of afternoon tea, um, I thought we'd, we'd touch on like trends and things happening in the baking world. Okay. And so for afternoon tea, obviously it's such a British, part of British culture and it's something that you've already done in your career. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's likely to be carry on being such a British uh, part of our culture? Do you think it's ever more popular, especially with like boozy, alcoholic infused afternoon yes, tea? I think the core of afternoon tea as it is today is it's all about being able to spend an amazing afternoon with your friends. Yeah. And family whoever it is that you want to bring to afternoon tea it's kind of one of those one-of-a-kind treats yeah. where you really get to feel a little bit special a bit dolled up you know get to hang out in a very cool space yeah and you know just and really just you know catch up and and just spend time with friends so yeah. whenever I have friends coming in from the states or overseas you know the first thing they want to do is have afternoon, afternoon tea, tea. Yeah. and you know and I think that that tradition will never ever die it'll never go out of fashion I mean because it really comes down to the just wanting to spend time with people you like I think it's probably just evolved more than anything like it's not just your traditional like Victoria sponges or chocolate cakes or scones which is great I mean I mean I've I've seen the gamut when it comes to trends for afternoon teas from you know a gentleman style afternoon tea with cigars and kind of tobacco flavored you know biscuits and you know to the alcoholic ones where you have like gin gin cocktails or like a hot gin in a teapot and like Japanese inspired ones, yep. I've seen those with, happening. With matcha and like beautiful Japanese style desserts. I think there's it, there's always going to be kind of um, something new, something different, which is great. I mean, because yeah. I think you really can add your own flair to afternoon oh, tea, like I did a decade ago. So yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. And I think even more so, like with we're coming to this like healthy vegan kind of trend, where it's all like good for your body, gut, free, free from things. It, so exactly. I mean, because you know, tea is you know, especially green tea is you know, full of antioxidants. It's yeah. very healthful for you. And, you know, when you work with, you know, amazing ingredients, if you think about things like, you know, um, green tea powder, so matcha powder, for example, uh, coconuts. So like, you know, doing coconut whipped cream yeah. uh, instead of clotted cream for the scones. Yeah. Um, playing with kind of, you know, the new type of, um, you know, powders like leucoma powder or maca powder yeah. for, you know, in terms of flavorings, but also because they're healthful for you. Yeah. Uh, definitely. I see that kind of going in that direction. And like lots of milk um, alternatives too, isn't it? Like it's dairy milk's becoming less and less popular, isn't it? It like, is. And like, in- so for example, even here at Butterscotch, um, we actually make our own coconut milk and oh, our own nice. almond milk yes. in-house. And it's not that hard to it's do, is it? Hard. No, You just need a blender yeah. and like, and a cheesecloth yeah, and you're you good to go. Yeah. And you soak them. And then right here, we've got a little charcoal. Yeah. So I'm, I made myself a, a very badly made one, but I did it make myself a, a charcoal almond latte. So because I actually, I really love the taste of charcoal and milk. It almost yeah. has a, a vanilla note to it. And so when I have it with almond milk, it's it's I, I love it. Like yeah. it actually has a kind of a natural sweetness to it. Definitely. Um, and charcoal's like 
one of those also popular things I've seen at restaurants also with like in water. Yep. It's like, because it's, I mean, it's very, you know, purifying, right? Yeah. It's what you take where it kind of really draws out, um, you know, they, they even warn you. It's like if you're going, if you're on medication um, before you have a charcoal latte or yeah, charcoal yeah, water, yeah. you know, make sure you're not on medication because it will actually neutralize um, the, the medication. So it, it definitely does something to yeah. your system. <laughs> I think like as well, whole afternoon tea and healthy trends. I think there's a massive thing, obviously with the vegan and everything, but like... Like, do you think that'll incorporate into like um, trends for the future for baking? Like, what can you see? Just I already see it now. So, in terms of the orders that we do get in, because we have um, we have a really great uh, vegan gluten free chocolate cake nice. um, that's made with a soy uh, based uh, chocolate ganache, um, and we use a free from a flour uh, base, and we also have this ridiculously amazing it's a gluten-free vegan carrot cake wow. with coconut whipped cream and no one i mean can it's tell. healthy right it's healthy <laughs> that's what i said well it's, it's got vegetables in it so i figured you're totally covered yeah it's got vegetables and seeds you're you know it's definitely your five a day in there um but I have noticed that there is an uptick in people who are quite conscious about their health, you know, still wanting to indulge themselves because, you know, cakes are an indulgent thing, yeah. um, but also conscious of what they're putting into their bodies. And so we've noticed an uptick in terms of vegan orders, gluten free orders, you know, people wanting to be egg free, yeah, you know, being consciously definitely. as vegetarian or vegan and not necessarily for allergy reasons or whatnot but and not just for weight loss reasons no. but also environmental reasons yeah wanting to be a bit more conscious about Definitely. what their like waste uh, as well is a big thing isn't it exactly just wanting to be conscious of how you know what they're consuming yeah. is affecting the environment and of course you know being vegetarian um is kind of a, a good way to go and Definitely. vegan so i don't see that trend going away and to be honest there have been quite a few things that i've discovered along the way because i've had to do quite a bit of research into yeah. vegan baking okay because that was a fairly new thing for me. Um, I think it's been a big thing for a lot of bakers and chefs. They've had yes. to go with the times. Yeah, exactly. And and to be honest, like, you know, when we were playing around um, with the vegan carrot cake, right. you know, in terms of the quality of what we could find with that coconut whipped cream, it, it was amazing, you know. Yeah. And even things like aquafaba. With, you know, making vegan meringues with wow. chickpea water. It's literally everything. It's, it's, so, it's, yeah. it's so stable. I was really quite surprised at how stable it was um, and how actually quite easy it is yeah. to make. You know, it's not even as temperature uh, dependent, you know, you know, egg whites typically, if you want them to whip up really high, yeah. you have to be at room temperature or slightly warm. Definitely. But with aquafaba, boom, just stick it in the mixer. It's good to go. I think there's definitely, it's great that people are exploring vegan baking and other types of yeah. ingredients to add to baking because you can find techniques that actually might be as good or yeah, superior definitely. to the original. Um, I, I do find, you know, sometimes there might be some things where it's like, oh, we want to find the vegan substitute for something. And yeah. I'm like, that's great and all. But I also think that vegan ingredients, you know, can stand on their own. Yeah, they're not just there to be a substitute. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's what people worry about too. They they worry that they want to go vegan, but they want it to taste like it always did. Right. But, but, and it's finding that balance. Yeah, it's kind of it? like, you know, if you, if you liked, you know country music your whole life and yeah. then all of a sudden you switch to hip-hop and you're like I really want to do hip-hop but I kind of want it to sound like, like country, country music. No. It's like, that's not that's not <laughs> how it works you, yeah. you just have to learn how to appreciate the genre for yeah. what it is and it is it stands on its own doesn't it like you said like exactly. and I think it's altering your 
if that's the way you want to go right. it's like appreciating exactly appreciate it for what it is because yeah. to try and compare well I want you know this cheesecake to taste exactly like the cheesecake I had when I was a kid that's not going to happen no, yeah. but you know what there's a there's a vegan coconut sorbet that's going to taste absolutely amazing yeah. and blow your you know blow your socks off so um, yeah so but I honestly think it is definitely here to stay yeah and I also think it adds to the lexicon of baking I know definitely. that a lot of people are very kind of oh if it doesn't have butter I don't want to eat it and I probably was one of those people too early on you can experience so much more experience yeah exactly exactly and I mean and even now uh, you know when I first opened my first business more than 10 years ago you know I I used to do crazy things like have pistachio yuzu mackerel on the menu and all these you know kind of interesting like oh like an earl grey lavender you know meringue with something 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 and you know people would just walk in and be like well where's my victoria sponge where's where's a treacle tart (laughs) and it's just like well I mean don't you like no I mean I really I just want I just want strawberries I want cream that's all I want and it's great to see now a decade later um you know I, I really do kind of credit the Great British Bake Off and also, um, you know, just so many people like Nigella, et cetera, for really kind of pushing the envelope and getting people to kind of see other flavors out yeah. there. Nowadays, it's like, you know, I remember when peanut butter was considered an exotic flavor <laughs> yeah. for cakes. And so, <laughs> yeah, so icing, now, yeah, so now when I see things <laughs> like, you know, you know, Yotam Adolenghi when he, you know, has his kind of rose water and you know, pomegranate, you know, all these yeah, things. It's yeah, like, yeah, definitely. yay, finally, you know, I think it's great to yeah. see that. Well, I bake a lot of cakes too and a lot of them are wedding cakes. Yes. And so many of the clients are like, oh, they didn't know the opportunities of flavors you can have. They just assume it's going to be a Victoria sponge or yep. a chocolate cake mm-hmm. or a fruit cake or something. Mm-hmm. And then most of the time, they're not that experimental anyway. They'll go as far as a carrot cake or yes. an Oreo based mm-hmm. cake. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really pushing the boundaries of what the opportunities are to bake with isn't it exactly exactly but I also think and do you think as well like the classics will stay like, I don't think they'll ever oh no I know, mean I think gonna, I, you know it's the kind of thing where every year as much as trends go as uh, much as trends go there's something to be said for tradition yeah and exactly. I think that more than anything else um, the UK is very well known for holding out tradition and, and tradition is important I mean this is there's a reason why people come to visit London they want to see that palace they want to yeah. see the queen they want to have afternoon tea (laughs) and it's the culture there's so much culture in like in this great nation there's so much culture and uh, to keep kind of those traditions Mm. alive especially food traditions I think you know is a very healthy and honorable and admirable one so you know to be honest I mean long live Victoria Sponge you know long live the scones so (laughs) I mean long live clotted cream (laughs) yeah I mean clotted cream was one of the reasons why I moved over here because when I first had I said this is amazing why isn't this Everywhere. Actually, so. you know, I had some. I had a friend come over, and she was the same. So I've never had clotted cream. What even is that? Yes, but you know, exactly. that's for another podcast, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yes. But anyway, thanks so much, B. We're going to sit here. She's got me some lovely looking cakes, so we're going to indulge in those now. So, but thanks for the um, your time. No worries. Thank you. <laughs> okay, this is Janine, and I'm here with Adam, our cookery writer. Hello. Happy New Year, Adam. Ha- Happy New Year. On, what is it, the 10th? Or yeah. yeah, it might as well. First I'm, podcast. I'm still on, saying it in yep. emails, so, so you yep. may as well. <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking about the new issue, the January issue, which is out on the shelves right now. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly about the vegan recipes within, because mm-hmm. um, we were talking yesterday about how um, vegan is something that previously was, was a bit of a 
a fad or something that like, quite a few, you know, not many people were doing. But now it's something that we've kind of taken into our everyday yeah, cooking. Yeah, like, really. it used to be almost like a subculture of like, you know, it was sort of like a weird sort of, I don't know, so, yeah, like side thing. But yeah. now it's almost in this, it's everywhere, isn't it, yeah. really now? And we kind of find ourselves, because we write, we write between us, we write quite a lot of recipes for the magazine. Um, we find ourselves almost doing vegan recipes um Anyway, I mean, it's you know, you see, you realise when you get the nutrition back that they're vegan, but you haven't yeah. kind of set out to do vegan recipes. Yeah, and I completely. think that's that's probably a symptom of um, of the fact that we're cooking with a lot less meat. Yeah. Um, probably a little bit more conscious about price and yeah, you know yeah, yeah. how expensive everything is as yeah. well. Um, so it's something that's happened for us quite naturally. Yeah. Um, but um, apart from that, in this issue, we do have some great, um, some great vegan recipes, which we have spent a bit more time thinking about. Yeah. Um, let's talk about one of my favourites, which is, which is your vegan BLT. Actually, it's MBLT, isn't it? MBLT. Yeah, so it's, um, the bacon is not real bacon. It is uh, made from mushrooms, actually. And uh, so basically, you just uh, slice uh, mushrooms nice and thin. Yeah. Um, so they almost like little rashers, almost. Um, and then you brush them with uh, a nice little spice mix. You've like, got some um, paprika and stuff in there to give yeah. that smoky flavour. Smoky flavour. And then you sort of, uh, yeah, you just cook them in, a, in an oven till, till crisp. Yeah. And you sort of get that bend, that chew, that char. I mean, they're not like crisp as in they don't, they don't crumble. They're, no. they're more like chewy. So, I mean, what, uh, the thing about mushrooms, and this is, this is going to be for the next recipe you talk about as well, is um, people th- who think they hate mushrooms a lot of the time is a texture thing. So it's because, you know, there's... There's, they, they can be a bit slimy, yeah, so um, so I think the major trick with it is to get rid of all of that excess liquid yeah, when you're absolutely, cooking. Absolutely. Um, and with this MBLT mushroom bacon lettuce and tomato sandwich, um, what Adam's done is kind of almost dehydrate the mushrooms so they become, like you said, chewy. Not like leathery. No. I want to say leathery, but it's it's kind yeah, of like it's it's, yeah, it's more of a, of a kind of chewy texture. And within mm. within the sandwich, within everything else, it sort of sits in for bacon really, really nicely. We yeah. were amazed when you did it because you just took yourself off to the test kitchen and said, "I'm going to make mushroom yeah. bacon," yeah. and we were all like, oh, "Okay." Yeah. And then um, and then we came in uh, a couple of hours later, and and you'd created this incredible sandwich with so much flavour in it as well. Because that's the other thing about mushrooms is they're like little sponges, yeah, yeah. and they soak up all of that flavour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made like a little uh, like little basting sauce sort of thing made from uh, like maple syrup smoked uh, paprika and like, garlic granules. Yeah. so like the basic sort of similar flavours that you'd find in uh, sweet smoky flavour that you get in bacon and then sort of putting that into the mushrooms because they just take it so and well and that smoked paprika I think is is, is your like special yeah. um, hidden thing isn't it it's yeah. the thing that really gives it that like yeah, um, and tell us about the rest of the because you've got you've got really nice. I think you've done this before with yeah. um, with tofu, which is such a good technique. Um, what do you do to it to make it into mayonnaise? So yeah, you basically um, get some silken tofu. So that's like the really uh, soft, um, silky. Yeah, obviously silken, but yeah, like, like uh, tofu um, and blitz it up. Just literally blitz it up with a little bit of Dijon mustard and uh, white vinegar, exactly the same as like the seasonings that mm. you put in uh, mayo. And uh, yeah, and it sort of comes out as like a, a nice saucy consistency and it has that sort of mustardy vinegary punch that so uh, it doesn't does. go because i would imagine it would go lumpy no because but because the silken tofu is so soft soft anyway pliable, yeah it just 
if you like a good blender or yeah. you know, if you if you didn't you just maybe pass it through a sieve if you wanted it smooth but i don't think you most people wouldn't so that, that gives bothered, you the lovely creamy element yeah, so and you then get you that yeah. creamy mayo sort of element and then you know and then yeah. stacked up with like you know cherry tomatoes and lettuce in a nice crusty warm baguette that's yeah. perfect for anyone who's who's maybe missing that bacon thing i mean or i just want that bit of comfort i am a self-confessed i love bacon I, love like, bacon. I would not ever replace it with anything but if i was going to replace it this mm-hmm. honestly is a great standing i I'd, mean it, yeah it, i'd be it, quite happy with that uh, it, I it really is yeah um and let's talk about one of my recipes <laughs> let's talk about On me the next mushroom um, the next mushroom thing which is uh we i did this mushroom bolognese um and again um I think one thing that we like about the vegan recipes in this issue is we're not using any substitutes. We're not using meat substitutes. We're just basically yeah. working with vegetables and we're bringing out as much flavour as we possibly can, mm-hmm. um, but just through the cooking process. So I was really thinking about, you know, bolognese. And actually, when I make spag bol as a rule at home, I put I put kind of half mince in and then I bulk it out with an equal amount of mushrooms, which yeah. is where this idea came from. Because yeah, yeah. I'm sort of trying to lighten it up a bit and maybe be a little bit more healthy mm-hmm. and have less meat. Um, and then it goes a lot further as well. So I was thinking, well, why can't you just do it with mushrooms as, you know, as the mince? So the, the pain bit is where you have to chop the mushrooms quite finely because you can't put them in if you could put them in a food processor but they go a little bit sludgy yeah for me. yeah the water and sort of just yeah. comes out of them a little bit so what i what i would advise people to do is is sort of dice them really small i mean it does take a little bit of time but it's definitely worth, oh, it. Definitely worth it yeah and then you get your biggest pan and you start frying your mushrooms and you fry and fry and fry until, first of all, they'll go a bit wet. Then all the water will come out of them and they'll look really sloppy. And then you keep frying and all the water gets reabsorbed by the mushroom. Yeah. So you're basically concentrating that mushroom flavour. None of that's going to waste. Yeah. It's, it's funny because if you were making any sort of like meat-based bolognese, that's exactly what you do with yeah, mince you as well. Yeah, you want to dry you, out you, the mints. You, you, you see all that liquid yeah. come out, but you just got to keep cooking it, keep cooking it because yeah. it will reabsorb and then you just, yeah. then it will go crisp and you sort of you've con- like you say concentrated all that yeah. lovely flavor so you concentrate all of them because you know mushrooms are quite meaty anyway you've concentrated the mushroom flavor you kind of dried it all out and then you're adding all of your different flavorings to it and then the mushrooms because they're sponges soak up all that flavor and like sit in for the mince so mm. i think and i think um we we made it in the kitchen and everyone really loved it and again it's kind of one of those things where you know, people say, oh, you won't miss the meat. But actually, I don't think you will. I, think I think you will, you'd no. be, especially if you put a ton of, oh, sorry, this won't make it vegan. Yeah, a ton of cheese in it. Damn. I would probably put a little, I, I don't know, I don't think you can get a vegan hard cheese, can you? Maybe uh, you can, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It, it yeah. might be made from cashews, but yeah. I wouldn't really, really class that as yeah, a cheese. I think that's um, something we've um, investigated. The other interesting thing is that a lot of dry pastas won't, include any egg because yeah. a lot of fresh pasta though is obviously made yeah. with like, fresh egg but the dry pasta is, is just wheat flour yeah which is the classic um uh, really good quality dry pasta is just made from durum wheat flour and water yeah and so completely vegan yeah, yeah. so it's completely vegan already so you yeah. don't have to just avoid when when you're in the chiller cabinet um at the supermarket that's probably where you'll find pasta with egg in it yeah. most stuff on the shelf like, i mean look at the color but just look at the packet Mo- most most regular pasta will just be completely vegan anyway so mm-hmm. so i mean it's a great base for all those sauces and stuff yeah, definitely. yeah um and then again um another recipe that i love that you did which um which is which is just 
veg based is a beetroot curry which sounds a bit weird but honestly oh my god when we tried it in the test kitchen it just knocked everyone out not only is the color just stunning yeah. so it's the sort of thing you really want to eat in yeah, january because it brings a bit of that sri lankan sunshine yeah yeah definitely. um where did you get the idea from um i saw it like a few years ago but it's sort of i remember eating it i can't, I can't remember if it was in a restaurant or not but i remember eating it and it's mm. just sort of just sat in the back of my brain somewhere yeah. and I was like oh that's so delicious I need to do something about that and then when we come to our seasonal recipes we yeah. sort of pick a list of ingredients and beetroot was there and I was somewhere it just went mm. beetroot curry um but then I sort of like had had like that's part of the fun of recipe writing is I yeah. sort of <laughs> teased it out of the back of my mind and like why I really liked it, it was like curry leaves and yeah. whole spices not ground spices yeah. and you know all those things and that earthy beetroot flavor loads yeah. of coconut milk the color yeah it was really that was a really nice one to write and, and it's another surprising one if you think you if you think you know beetroot um try this because it it's um it will change your mind about beetroot as well there's something about the the earthiness and the sweetness of the beetroot with the coconut milk that yeah. just brings so much comfort mm-hmm. and it's it's like super low calorie as well i think it's like 300 calories almost a yeah. bowl so a little bit of rice with that and you've you've got like you know Really? diet food yeah, yeah. but it doesn't seem like it at all it when you're eating all. it no um i'm actually making that for dinner tonight are you? So, nice yeah. <laughs> so the last um the last recipe we want to talk about is um our vegan banana bread yeah um which actually came from a friend of mine who's who's vegan and said um that they tried a few banana bread recipes but they weren't really that nice a bit stodge so we went away and came up with with this one. Um, it was a bit of a challenge because obviously you can't use eggs for the raisin agent. Yeah. Um, but then again, banana bread is kind of a really nice dense bread anyway. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. we kind of found this really nice balance of using a bit of bicarb, using the bananas. We use coconut oil for the fat. And it actually turned out really well. Yeah, was, and I mean, you, I don't, you wouldn't have really... Like, again, I mean, this is not that it's always comparable to if no. it did have non-vegan things in it but if you were to taste it you honestly wouldn't know that it yeah. was eggless and butterless yeah. and you know all those things that that make vegan things vegan but yeah i mean i think late, later on this year um in, in some issues we're going to we, we're going to investigate some new kind of vegan products or things that you know meat substitutes yeah, and stuff yeah. and, and and the best way of using them but um but the nice thing about all of these recipes is they just take your basic ingredients um, and just make the best out of them. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, also, I know our web team this week has been um, scurrying around trying to get all of our vegan um, things up to date on the mm-hmm. website. And we've got two really good uh, collections. collections yeah. One is a really quick vegan collection, so it, you don't have to spend hours doing stuff. The second one is a healthy vegan because obviously, you know, a lot of a lot of the time people sort of argue that it's not the healthiest. If, well, if there's that going... misconception that just because it's vegan doesn't necessarily make it healthy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, go and check that out. Mm. But, um, and also go, it's still on the shelves, go check out the January issue. Um, it's got lovely chicken tray bake on the cover for people who not aren't vegan. vegan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks very much, Adam. Yeah, cheers. Hello, it's Alex here. So I came to the opening of Tab Tab on Westbourne Grove in West London a few months ago and I was so fascinated by the matcha process that head barista and general manager Lucas Scorchetza taught us that I'm now back to learn all about matcha and teach you guys about matcha as well. Um, Just what exactly 
it is, how it's made, and how to serve it. So, hello, um, Lucas, you all right? Very good, thank yeah. you. Welcome um, to Dab Dab. Thank you. Um, so, can you start by telling us what exactly matcha is? Because I know a lot of people know it as just this bright green powder, and that's pretty much it. So, um, yeah, can you enlighten us a little bit? Absolutely. Um, starting with the name itself, matcha. Matcha is actually um, consists of two Japanese words, which is ma for milk, finely milk, and cha, which is a tea. Um, ah, so it literally means milled tea. It's a finely milled tea. Traditionally, it needs to be done by milling it with stone, which the process is obviously a very expensive and slow, mm-hmm. but um, only that way you can achieve an absolutely fantastic quality tea. Um, starting with the concept of tea itself, uh, tea always comes from the same plant, and... What happens with it next and the process we use will define what is the final product. Matcha itself starts its life as a a beautiful, vivid green plant. During that process, we obviously grow the tea as normally. For the precisely last three weeks, which is 21 days, that plant will be covered under the shade. And the last three weeks will make the plant get a little bit more... L-tannin, which is an essential amino acid. Right. It's basically responsible for you being quite wired from the tea, but at the same time in a very relaxed way. Okay. Um, So wired but relaxed. I like it. um, It's lacking the same levels of caffeine as the black tea. So it has less? Much less. Much less caffeine. And it's um, it's only to do with the process. Caffeine quite often in black tea comes from either fermentation or roasting. Right. Um, you don't have that in green tea. And for that reason, those beautiful leaves will only get what, what's needed. What, what was needed there was amino acids and antioxidants. Okay. Um, during the process, the tea, after being picked, um, we have to remove the veins of the tea leaves. Right. And in that form, the tea can be stored for quite a long time, within the reason. And when needed, will be milled into a matcha, as we know. Right. Um, so where, where, does, where does it come from? Like, is it only Japan or...? Exclusively yeah. Japan. Um, is it a particular area of Japan? It will be any farm of the green tea garden. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be from the specific region in Japan. Okay. But um, it's, it's always to do with the high-quality leaves. And as we know, with everything, everything green, if you think about vegetables altogether, the, the finest you get, it's the early in the season. When the right, season yes, starts, it's young. so the same way we thinking and looking at the green tea in Japan, where the finest and the high quality tea leaves will be picked only exclusively in the spring season. Okay, in spring. Only spring exclusively. Okay, and what gives it that intense bright green colour? Because um, it's so different to other green teas. It's um, so I'll probably go back to the concept of um, of grades because there's no official grading system implemented okay. within the, the, the matcha um, production. But at the same time, we can judge matcha very quickly by the, as you mentioned, the color. So the more vivid and more green it is, you can clearly see that that was a spring tea. Okay, so it's when it's the time it was picked. Of course. And that green color also comes from being growth under the shade. Right. Um, and again, you can think about this within the vegetable world as well mm-hmm. if you take your um, asparagus yes. which was forced it's white when it had more sun than any other asparagus it's dark green 
Right. And yeah. it's a very similar similar reason for for contact with sun with, with, within the green tea growers. So. Um, so that vivid green is only because it was under the shade for the uh, last three and, weeks. And does it, is there special, um, how do they keep it under the shade? Do they have um, man-made things like bamboo? And There's a man-made also, but also synthetic as well. And it's, it doesn't really affect if it's natural or synthetic, the actual growth, as it's only meant to be creating a shade for the plant. Okay. And um, you talked about the different um, grades of matcha. Um, can you talk to us a little bit more about them? Like, I know you said it's when you pick early to late, but like, how is that going to um, manifest itself in a type of tea? Um, within a matcha, um, the grade will definitely change a lot about the flavour. So if, let's say, we have the most beautiful matcha which was grown properly to the, to the last day of the pickup, um, but then milled by um, blades, by metal. Right. It's not gonna be a such a great matcha anymore. Okay. And it's basically it's a, such a fast process using blenders and mechanical processes that uh, it will damage the leaves. It will damage the the actual um, flavour notes we're looking for in matcha. And what what flavour notes are we looking for? What's the perfect taste for matcha tea? Because and I know it's quite unique, and people are often a little bit scared by it. I think I think the big big word here, which is uh, usually um, scaring people away, is the foreign foreign word describing a flavour. We we don't understand. It's umami, and and umami, yes. Umami is the is the big thing. Um, we always look for in um, matcha because um, it's very hard to, to explain because we, we perceive sweetness, bitterness, um, saltiness and it, it, all those flavours are obviously we taste them every single day mm-hmm. but um, only recently we realised that we are capable of tasting another level of flavours which is we call it umami mm-hmm. and um, it gives almost a brothy kind of a quality. It's, yeah, it, okay. it, it's a very easily recognizable, um, obviously, flavor, but once, I always call it a bit of a um, power of, of suggestion. Once you mention it, oh yeah, of course, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a kind of a brothy and very rich um, quality to it. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely in love with green tea altogether. So uh, the one we have on the shelf here as well, Kabusecha, is a spring season once again. It's a very high quality premium sencha, um, and it has that big umami happening on the finish. And and that umami in that particular tea will be kind of mushroomy. It's it's it's, Ooh, okay. it's almost mushroom broth sitting wow. behind the tea. It sounds absolutely terrifying <laughs> when, when you just think about having a sip of it. But it's so beautifully balanced because once again you have to have all those flavors together yeah. and only then the drink is beautifully balanced and I, I, I think that's the reason matcha is my drink of choice every morning now yeah. so is it is it um sweet or bitter or like vegetable like what what literally all, all those of the things above. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> literally all of those things at the same time the bitterness comes obviously from the green in the plant then mm-hmm. you have this beautiful sweetness almost nuttiness hiding behind that matcha okay um, nice and that, I would call that umami that nuttiness yeah. behind it okay. which you don't really expect from let's face it we taste things as well with our eyes and when we see something True. very green we, we expect it to taste like, really grassy exactly. and vegetable. and that's exactly what it is as, as well yeah. and it's 
and that creates amazingly balanced, but also so fr- such a fresh drink. And how would you serve it? Like, what's the? Because I, I know when we spoke um, before, you had this amazing equipment, and it's all laid out here. We've got a lovely little whisk, and then you've got the big, like they're almost like bowls, the cups, because you're supposed to serve it in them, aren't you? How? How Absolutely. can you tell us a bit more about that? Um, so our service has always been inspired a little bit by um, Japanese, Taiwanese, or Chinese tea service, where. Nothing really is being served in bulk. Everything is served in a very small portion to, mm-hmm. to, to make sure that what you drink is the, the top quality product, product, but also fresh, freshly yes. made. Um, and I think this beautiful matcha bowl we have here, it's, it's one of the core tools. I absolutely love holding it in my hand. So what you need is one big bowl. Right. Quite often, it doesn't have to be specifically made for matcha. No. If you have your favorite ceramics, please use them. Um, whisk, whisk is, is, is a very personal item, I, I believe. I mean, the ones we're using here, they're made traditionally by a family business run in Japan by, I think it's 17th centuries now. Oh, wow, okay. And it takes on average um, two to five years to make a whisk. <gasps> because... That's incredible. <laughs> it is absolutely mind-blowing. That's what I love about Japanese is the craftsmanship is absolutely exquisite. It's and amazing. attention to detail. Yeah. So um, obviously you've seen how to whisk the matcha yeah. before. And Why do we whisk it? Um, you want to create that beautiful um, velvety um, right. consistency of it. And by whisking it into very fine foam, um, you can achieve that very easily. But the, the first sip of matcha it needs to be extremely creamy. That right. Only that way you know that you mixed it properly. Okay. Um, so, guys, please, whenever you go out anywhere, um, order your matcha and it comes with no froth on top. Send it back. Just, just not, you don't have to be really mean about it. You just, um, it makes a huge difference. It really does. And um, my matcha experience before I fell in love with it was kind of ruined probably by, by situations where it wasn't whisked properly okay. or easily in just the low quality matcha was served to me um so i only discovered my love for matcha or green tea only very recently um, to be fair i wasn't a fan before i remember when i came in <laughs> exactly, i said oh yes. i'm really sorry but i'm not a fan of matcha and you said wait until the end of this and absolutely i, I genuinely like loved it at the end and it's just because the way of serving it as well it's so i know there's this like huga thing going around you know people are really kind of adopting that as well like taking time over your drink and um like really just enjoying it and you so you cup the the cup and you just bring it up to to your mouth and just sip on it and like you know take a bit of time out but that's i mean all together tap tap we we try to convince the customers and our guests that um once you stop for two, three minutes, it's not going to affect your life in a negative way. And I really believe it will just improve it. And for that reason, we put so much of the attention into serving each drink. And it doesn't matter if it's, a, you know, your espresso in the morning or both, um, both food, let's say our porridge, or, or just simply a cup of tea. It's just yeah. every single item is a bit of a ceremony. What are the health benefits of matcha? Because I know everyone raves about the health benefits, but is it really good for us? It's absolutely. I, I believe everything in, um, in good quantities and the right quantities will definitely improve your life and it's very good for you. Matcha, 
antioxidants first of all. So much higher content than blueberries on average, 50 times higher per volume. Wow, okay. Um, it's very important that we understand that you know, something like that existed already for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it breaks my heart when we try to change it. I think the example yeah, of it would be the... reason why it's still here. The matcha lattice, you know, it's a beautiful drink and we absolutely enjoy making them. They look stunning. But um, try your matcha next time without the milk. And Damson milk. Without the without milk, milk. Without the milk, excuse me. And you might really get full benefits of it. Okay. Um... And it's sugar-free, isn't it? And you still get the caffeine from the coffee. It's one of... good what, detoxing. Detoxing. So antioxidants and don't forget about those amino acids, which we yes. really want. They, will, they also, the L-tanine was um, researched recently for um, helping with anxieties. Because okay. it has a calming effect. That's the kind of uh, awake, wired calmness that well, I was okay. talking about earlier. That's the ikagai... It's, again, you know, everything, everything about matcha definitely going to improve your life. So please drink it. Try to drink yeah. it every morning. It doesn't have to be costing a fortune. Buy yourself a jar for home and start whisking. Yeah, and A little great. tip. If you don't have a Japanese bamboo whisk, um, you can easily use one of those five-pound frothing devices, battery-operated ones oh, okay. for the homemade cappuccino makers and things similar like that. It will froth up the matcha beautifully. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. And we'll go and drink some matcha now. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks very much. Bye. That was this week's Olive Magazine podcast. If you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. And you can still pick up a copy of our January issue now or go and download the app version. Bye for this week and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.